Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good evening. Merry Christmas. Thank you for being with us on this special service. And if you're watching via live stream, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm a senior pastor here at Grantham. This isn't just a story for children, is it? It's a story for adults, too. And I don't want us to forget about how radical this story really is. The idea that the God of the universe became a human being in the baby Jesus. I mean, just think about how radical, even subversive, this story is the way in which this God came to us. You think back to the story which we've heard through song and through scripture reading uh, this evening. Uh, We have the angel that appears to Mary, a young Jewish girl, seemingly insignificant, from a little town called Nazareth, a little podunk backwater village. You know, this is, this is the person and the place in which God chooses to come into the world. And of course, Mary, we know in the story, tells Joseph who she is betrothed to. So it's sort of like engagement, but they're really married in every way and that they can't live together. And it's during that time that Mary is pregnant and the angel tells her you're gonna bear a son. His name's gonna be Jesus. He's gonna be the Messiah, the son of God. He's gonna save the world from its sins. Just imagine that conversation, right? Well, Mary tells Joseph, "Uh, I'm pregnant and God told me I'm having the Messiah. I mean, what would you think? And we don't know really the order of this. Luke doesn't tell us. Matthew talks about Joseph's dream, but it's possible that Mary tells Joseph and then leaves for Elizabeth's house. You remember her relative who's pregnant with John the Baptist in her old age, looking for maybe affirmation, looking for sanctuary and a safe place. And maybe giving Joseph some space to to think about this. And of course, then he eventually has his dream and the angel tells him it's true. And you can receive Mary to be your wife and raise the Christ child. I'm thinking if I was Joseph, I would probably need that vision too, right? And so before the baby was born, we're told in the story that a census is taken. It's issued by Caesar Augustus, the emperor at the time. And and this is going to cause Mary and Joseph to go down to Bethlehem. Now we know the prophecy says that the Son of God would be born, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. There's no way for Jesus to kick prenatally south down to Bethlehem to make this prophecy come true, you know, and it didn't even seem to be on the mind of Mary and Joseph. It is Caesar 
It is the greatest power in the known world that causes this to happen. So it, causes, it should remind us to think how God, God works. God works in the world. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So every person had to go back to their place of birth. And that meant Joseph had to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and take Mary with him. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn. I mean, she had more children after this. A son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. That would be like this, a horse trough, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, many of us have grown up uh, hearing the story told there was no room in the what? In the inn. This isn't the Motel 6, folks. It's not the Holiday Inn. This is not what we're talking about. The, the Greek word is better translated there as guest room. And what would have been typical in this kind of situation is for Joseph to go and stay with relatives in Bethlehem. So we believe, and I think the best scholarship says that, that Joseph was looking to stay with family. So, but look at this. There is no room available in the guest room for them in their family's house. Now, so this, this makes me think, and, and maybe you're thinking this too, uh, why, why is that? Why is there no room? Is there someone else in the house having a baby? Is there anybody else that's quite in this same situation that Mary's in that they can't give up some space, they can't give up the, 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 uh, the bed? I mean, seriously? So think about it. So contrary to the popular interpretation and imaginings of the nativity scene, it's more historically accurate to see Mary and Joseph staying in a first century Jewish home. Something like this, maybe. Look at that. So, so we have a house in the main quarters on the upper level, and there would have been a guest room if it was a larger house, and they had the means. There might have been two guest rooms. And the manger is actually like a small stable at the bottom of the house where they would bring the animals in at night. And this is the only space that is available for them. And again, as I said, like, is there somebody else that's pregnant in this house? Somebody else that's in this situation with Mary? And why is it that that's the best that they could offer? Think about that. What does this say about their situation? Remember, Mary is betrothed but unmarried, claiming to have by divine birth the Messiah. It really is a wonder if you think about it and those who are, are law-abiding Orthodox Jews to even give up this space. But they do. What lessons might this story teach us then of God's character and of God's coming into the world? That God would stoop down so low when he arrives, not in the palace, not in a penthouse, but in the manger. This is the God that we worship this morning. This is the, or this evening, and this is the God who sent Jesus, his son, into the world. That we might know what he's like 
Think about this with me, if you would. Here are a few takeaways as we reflect on this story on the eve of Christmas. A few things I want to point out for us. Number one, I think this story tells us that God is accommodating. God is accommodating to us and to our situation, and He stoops down into our lowly mess. Who needs to hear that this evening? That God meets you where you are. Even if the best that you have to offer is a manger, God will take it. This is the God that we worship. What happens when your family or your friends shun you? I don't know, some of you may have come out of town and you're staying with family. I don't know what room they've offered up. I've offered up my in-laws the basement. It's finished. You know, they can come up to eat when they're hungry. No, but seriously, what happens when your family or your friends or your entire village shuns you? Well, God still comes. What happens when things aren't as you imagined that they would be? Or maybe you think they should be at this stage of your life? Well, God still comes. What happens when you only have a manger for the king of the cosmos? Well, God still comes. Also think about this. I think this story also tells us that, number two, God is on the side of the weak. God is on the side of the poor. God is on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed. And we, we see this in how God uses Mary and Joseph, how God comes to shepherds, to the, the lowliest of occupations, how God uses pagan astrologers, people looking at the stars to determine the future and things to come. God meets us in our mess. God meets us broken as we are. But as we've heard this evening, He doesn't leave us that way. Amen? And Jesus will announce, maybe you remember this in His first sermon in Luke chapter 4, if you look at that, we hear the heart of the gospel. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus actually stops reading in the middle of the verse, which goes on to say, in the day of vengeance. But Jesus stops by saying, I've come to bless the poor, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what God has come to do in Christ. So in hearing of this good news this evening, the invitation, folks, my invitation to you is this. Let your heart break for what breaks God's because you probably won't be visited by three ghosts tonight. Some of you will get that on the way home. (laughs) And number three, Christmas is an invitation to make room for God and to make room for others. How do you need God to come to you this Christmas? Some of you, this is your first Christmas since you've lost a loved one. For some of you, you've lost a job. 
The last year, two years have been challenging for all of us, hasn't it? How do you need God to come to you? How is he inviting you home to his healing love so that you can love others? We've talked about that in our Advent series, if you've been with us, that God called us to be conduit, a conduit of blessings. Between all that sin and the junk and the muck of our lives, it it, uh, corrodes the inside of that conduit so that those blessings can't flow. But you see, the message of Christmas and the heart of the gospel is that God loves you not as you are, or as you are, not as you should be, right? Because you'll never be as you should be. This is good news, church. And also that God wants to make his home in you, as you heard Pastor Denise share with the children, so that you can share his love with others. Listen to what the disciple John wrote in his first letter to the early Christians. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 17. I'm reading from the message Eugene Peterson translated this for us. He said, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, right? Once upon a time we loved God. No, once upon a time God loved us. He loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they've done to our relationship with God. In verse 11, John says, my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect, whole, shalom kind of love. I like what N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says here. He says, to get the point of what John means here, stand this statement, no one has seen God, in parallel with the concluding verse in the prologue to John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. Nobody has ever seen God, the only begotten God, who is intimately close to the Father. He has brought him to light. The meaning of that statement is striking, Wright says, because we don't really know who God is until we look at Jesus. Now we see the meaning of this statement in 1 John 4, 12. People don't really know who God is until they see it revealed in the life of Christians. Until that is, his love is completed in us. So what God launched decisively in Jesus, he wants to complete in and through us. As Jesus unveiled God before a surprised and unready world, so must we. Love is that important. Verse 13, this is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life. 
from his very own spirit God has. Also, we've seen for ourselves and, 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 and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well, we've embraced it heart and soul. This love comes from God. And then verse 16, God is love. Not that just God loves, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be invited home. To be invited to come to the God of the universe that's been revealed in Jesus. Veiled in flesh. This is the Lord of love. Before I close this message in prayer, would you just take a moment, close your eyes where you are and bow your head with me. Just listen to my voice. As I asked earlier in the message, how is it that God wants to come to you this evening in a fresh, new, powerful, real, tangible way? To yourself where you are, will you just say that, speak that to the Lord? What is it? How is it that you need God to show up? Now one more question to reflect on. How is it that you need to be a conduit of God's love? Is it time this Christmas to say you're sorry? Is it time this Christmas to say you forgive? Is it time this Christmas to heal so that you could be a wounded healer? However the Lord is speaking to you, I encourage you to respond so that we might know the power of the Christmas story. Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, that you sent your son and a manger was not too lowly for you. Help us, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit to receive this word that you are speaking to us, the mystery, the wonder of the incarnation, Lord, that we might once again this year be changed, that we might know your love and love others.
the way you've called us to so that the world might know that we belong to you. We are your people, the flock of your pastor. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.